What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 226 of the Talking Chop podcast. I'm your host, Brad Rowland. It's an emergency podcast, and joining me, as often, Scott Coleman is here to react to the news of the day. Hello, Scott. Hey, Brad. Yeah, it's good to be on again. Uh, Sunday night, we chatted, and uh, here we are again. It's been a busy last couple of weeks for the Braves, and I think after three months of basically no news, I, I think you and I both welcome it. For sure. We're on a roll with recording Sunday nights and then having either news on Monday or news on Tuesday, uh, which is okay. It's at least, at least they gave us 48, 48 hours this time around. And of course, the news of the day is that Mike Soroka is the opening day starter for the Braves. That was a, a big announcement that was coming down this afternoon. Nothing else happened. No, I'm kidding. Um, but it, it was actually kind of funny because that was announced by Brian Snicker like within 10 minutes of the Yasiel Puig news breaking. And I guess Snicker was also asked on the Zoom call about Puig, and he kind of had a no comment. But it was uh, pretty funny to see the beat writers tweeting about Mike Soroka <laughs> as opening day starter, like literally six minutes after the Puig news broke. And that's their job. Yeah. They were doing their job. It was funny. They were all on the Zoom and all that stuff. They couldn't really <laughs> confirm stuff. But it was uh, kind of hilarious because, yes, the, the reign of Julio Tehran is over. But uh, that is not, A, a surprise, and B, really big news. You know, it really is crazy. I mean, we've talked about Julio Tehran and that many consecutive years of being the opening day starter really is amazing. And, and now they hand it to Mike Soroka, who absolutely deserves it. I think uh, I think it was a day or two ago when they announced how the pitchers were going to line up in these couple of exhibition games they had this week, or inter-squad scrimmages, I guess they are, uh, that Soroka was going to be opening day. And, and again, he had such an awesome year last year. And uh, you hope that he can have a, a similar run as the opening day starter as Julio had. And uh, you know, it doesn't get much better as a Braves fan of, of Soroka versus DeGrom in, in about 10 days now. Yeah, sign me up for that. All right, we're done with that conversation, I promise. The real news of the day is that Yasiel Puig is reportedly, and we have to say reportedly, I know it's been triple, quadruple confirmed now by all kinds of outlets, but because of the uh, physical has to be passed and all that stuff, it's not official yet, the Braves not announced this, but Yasiel Puig uh, reportedly coming for a one-year deal. That was that was according to the Associated Press. Um it's kind of funny, uh, at about the half-hour mark of episode 224, which is two, two episodes ago, it was me and Eric talking, and uh, we sort of floated Puig as an option, and how, at least I said that it made a bunch of sense for the Braves to at least explore it. I, I did say, to be fair, that I, I would I'd be surprised if it actually happened, so I was wrong about that part, but we kind of saw this at least as a potential option because of the way that he might fit. And uh, before we dig into the player and the fit and all that stuff, I do have to kind of laugh. There's a guy named Brian Chandler that spotted Puig at the Omni Hotel today, um, and that kind of started a rumor mill. It was kind of funny. I, I saw actual – I'm not sure how much buzz it actually was, but there was real like rumor weirdness on Braves Twitter before the official report from Mark Feinstein, who broke the story. Um, and I was trying to figure out where it came from, and I really think it came from this one tweet by Brian Chandler. So shouts to him for uh, sort yep. of breaking some news today. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, before we dive into all of it, that's kind of the setting, setting the stage for what happened because, you know, this is going to be happening. It's, uh, I would say, certainly a surprise to me. I'm not, like, fall on the floor shocked based on the fact that he was the best player available. He does fit a need in some ways. But what was your reaction when you saw the Puig news come down? Mm. It made a lot of sense the minute that Nick Markakis uh, opted out, in my opinion, and uh, we've talked about the other options they have, but I think there's also some uncertainty, to be honest, with, with Adam Duvall, somebody who has some underlying health issues, and he is somebody who has said he's going to give it every intent to play, but um, 
he these players can opt out at any given time and i think that's something people have to remember it's not like if they play on opening day they're locked in for 60 days things are going to happen injuries are going to happen you know god forbid something happens uh to acuna or one of the other outfielders and all of a sudden you go from having a surplus of outfielders to a shortage so it's a no-brainer uh, I, I think it makes sense uh, i'm guessing that anthopolis uh checked the trade market a bit and and tried to see what might be out there to help cover some ground from losing Marquecas. I know we, we poke fun at Nick and that he plays every single day and and all that, but um, he was a perfectly fine hitter the last couple of years, especially against right-handed pitching. He was yep. going to fill a role on this team for, for a lineup that's pretty right-handed heavy. Um, they needed another bat, and Puig is unconventional, and we're going di- to dive into his numbers a little bit, but he's unconventional. He's a, a righty hitter who hits right-handed pitching uh, significantly better than lefties, and that's that's pretty uncommon. But um, because of that, I think it, it made sense to give him a try. And again, you're talking about, what, a two-and-a-half-month contract here, maybe three months if, if they make a run in the playoffs. You really can't go wrong at that point, and, and it's valuable depth to have. For sure. And uh, yeah, that was kind of the thesis that we talked about two episodes ago, and we didn't dive too deep into it because I wasn't sure it was going to be real. But, you know, combination of the best player available and also a guy who fit a knee because of what they're losing in Marcakis and, you know, because of the of the reverse platoon split, a lot of the reaction was like, wait, they're signing a right-handed outfielder? And it's like, okay, take a, a little bit of a deeper look. And he's not a guy who, you know, matches left-handed pitching. He can't hit left-handed pitching. We'll get into that as well. But, um, yeah, he, he does fit what the Braves kind of needed in their lineup. And, uh, you know, it, he would have been hard-pressed to find a better option that was available either in trade or free agency. And, honestly, we haven't seen the money yet. Um it might just be the cost of what they were going to pay, what they were going to pay Marquecas or something like that. Cause you know, Marquecas opted yeah. out of his money. That money, you know, presumably was, was on the books for at least planned for by the Braves. They're probably spending around the same amount, maybe a little bit more. Maybe, I don't even know. I actually don't even have a guess yeah. frankly, but the money probably isn't that significant of a change. So adding a guy who yeah. honestly is probably better than Marquecas, um, you know, not, not a whole lot of downside here. We'll get into all sides, but uh, that's just sort of the, the of the primer. Let's talk about the player first, like what we actually is at this point in time, and then we can sort of go into fit and all that stuff. Uh, he's he's twenty nine right now. He'll be thirty later this year, but this whole, this whole season he'll be twenty. He'll be twenty nine. Um, one of the caveats is that last year in twenty nineteen he played he played for two different teams. It was actually probably his worst season overall as a major leaguer. But still, even with that, he was worth uh, 1.2 Fangraphs War, 1.3 Baseball Reference War. Um, he still had a, he still had a 101 WRC plus, um, which is you know league average hitter. Nothing spectacular, certainly not great, but certainly a major leaguer that can contribute um, at those numbers. Defensively, the numbers were not fantastic. Um, and actually, it was pretty much the only time in his career that I could find that he was actually slightly better against lefties. It was it was pretty flat, but it was the one time that his re- that his reverse platoon split didn't happen much was last year, and Last thing on, on on his 2019 performance, he was uh, he was better in Cleveland. So he he got traded midseason from Cincinnati to Cleveland as part of a three team deal. Uh, he was better, like pretty notably better in Cleveland at the end. So that's probably a good sign. And then prior to that, he was really pretty good in 2018. He had a 123 WRC plus. That is a solidly above average hitter. And for his career, we both alluded to this, I think I mentioned it on the previous podcast as well. This is the big number for me. He has a career 130. WRC plus 
in 2,400 plus plate appearances against right-handed pitching. So not a small sample size. This is someone who has, you know, seasons and seasons worth of plate appearances against right-handed pitching and has been 30% above league average. Like he's a very good hitter against right-handed pitching. Um, I'm not sure you can make on that now at his age and might, he might've slowed down a little bit, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that's pretty safe to say he's a good hitter against right-handed pitching. And even against lefties for his career, he's still been above average. Not like he can't hit that. He's not, he's not a, a guy who can't hit left-handed pitching. It's just uh, sort of a, re- a reverse platoon split in some way. So I say all that, you know, it's it's tough to peg what he's going to be, what kind of shape he's in baseball-wise is a question at this point in time. How soon can he contribute, et cetera. But, you know, the hit, as a hitter... I think you kind of have to assume that Puig is league average or better, and that's better than a lot of the guys the Braves had, particularly against righties. Well, and I think what you look at is his numbers, 2017, 2018, he was really good, and then his power dipped last year, and that's a little bit of his batted ball profile. Maybe it's just the, you know the weirdness of baseball, how many balls go an extra three feet one way or the other, and it's a home run versus an out. Um, but I, again, I'm with you. I think he's a league average bat. The Braves have... Uh, it's pretty funny. They have a couple of great hitters at the top of their order, and then they have a lot of guys who kind of hover right around that 100 WRC plus, which is uh, kind of an all-encompassing number. And, and where you guys, it's kind of the uh, where you want your hitters to be, especially if you assume that he's going to be, you know, what fifth, sixth in the order. Um, again, a guy who can hit. He's pretty fast. He can hit nearly 20 steals last year. Um, doesn't strike out a ton. Only about 20% over the last couple of years, 20% for his career. He will take a walk as well. Um, so, yeah, I think because, again, you you don't feel super great about Adam Duvall, especially against right-handed pitching. Lefty pitching is a different game for him. But you would imagine Puig is going to be out there most of the time. And, and as you said, the 130 WRC plus for his career, at least. Again, I'm not sure he's necessarily going to give you that this year. But um, yeah. it was a thing with him with the Dodgers. It would kind of drive him crazy. And and you would imagine just over time it would balance out. But this is a guy who has uh, about 3,400 plate appearances at the major league level under his belt. And that's just kind of who he is. So, um, again, I think he's somebody who can certainly contribute. And assuming you have Acuna, Ozzy, Freddie, and, and Ozuna uh, one through four, I think he's going to have a lot of opportunities. And, and you hope he, he's able to step up. Right. So, you know, Puig made this great entrance to the Major League Baseball in 2013. He was awesome pretty much immediately. Um, and then he was really good again in his second season in terms of his uh, of his batting numbers. And then he cooled off considerably in 2015-2016. He had a sort of a two-year downturn where it wasn't like he was unplayable, but the star faded really with him. But then kind of almost quietly, I would say, um, the last three years, his numbers are pretty good. Um Two two years with the Dodgers in 2017, 2018, and then last year the combined the combined season. Over that three year sample size, which is you know 1,600 plate appearances, it's a lot of plate appearances. He has a slash line of 265, 334, and a slugging of 478. So an OPS about you know, about 810. That is above average, pretty strongly. An OPS plus of 112. That's a three year sample size. Um, so even if you uh, want to say that you know the, the first two years of his career are not coming back, I would agree with you on that. You know, in his upper 20s, he's been a v- pretty good hitter. It's not like this is a uh, a guy who has not been good lately. In fact, he was better recently than he was even in that two-year sample yeah. previously. So, you know, do we know what he's going to give you offensively for a fact in this weird short sample size season where he <laughs> may not even been, you know, he's not in camp right now. What's it going to look like early on? We don't know. But I feel pretty comfortable saying that he makes the Braves lineup better. Um, 
at least on paper. Sure. Like obviously everyone's com- everyone is capable of a slump or whatever happens. And he, I guess there's a chance he's just done at 29, but I'm going to guess not. I think with everything that we could possibly know about on the field, he helps the lineup. Uh, especially against right-handed pitching, maybe even against lefties. Like this is a guy who could be playing every day. Um, I'm not saying he's going. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying he's going to. But if he's playing well, he has a profile to just be an everyday player for the Braves. Especially with the DH now that they have, they can they can stick Ozuna there a lot, etc. We'll get we'll get into the fit in a second. But you know, Puig, his upside, I think even still at 29, is he just can't be taken off the field by the Braves. That that's yeah. in play. I'm not projecting that, but that is a a reasonable outcome. No, I, th- I think there's certainly room for improvement. And hey, you're right. If if the weird, I mean, all these guys are dealing with with weird circumstances. But if for some reason he's just not hitting after a couple weeks, guess what? You move him to the bench. I mean, it's it's a yep. one year deal. It's not going to be for big money, as you said. It's going to be maybe a couple million bucks, if that. But you know, it's worth noting that he was a free agent last winter and went really the run the entire winter without finding a deal. And it was reported he was looking at for a three or four year deal. And I think that was kind of agent speak and, and, you know, him probably over uh, looking to outkick his coverage a little bit there. But um, again, there's, there's reason that this guy was, was so loved and, and revered in, in Los Angeles. You mentioned he was a little bit better as the season went on last year. Uh, maybe he was feeling some of the pressure of impending free agency. Who knows what it was, but again, I think you look at his projected numbers. Uh, Zips has him hitting 260 with a 324 OBP. 468 slug and a 102 WRC plus half war player steamer and steamers a little bit higher on him with a 111 WRC plus those players don't just grow on trees, right? It, it's, if it was easy to do, uh, people, <laughs> people wouldn't have to go bargain bending for, for players at this point. So again, I, I really don't see any kind of downside with this and it makes sense. And Thopolis is also familiar with him too. We haven't mentioned that just yet, but um, the time that Alex spent out in Los Angeles for a couple of years with Puig, uh, he does know the player for for better or worse, and uh, that's their, that relationship probably helped things. Right. It would not surprise me if once they're able to confirm this and he passes the physical, provided that he does that, we might hear uh, that, that, that that played a part in this. Uh, I'm sure they have a relationship of some sort from when they were both with the Dodgers. That I'm certainly... Uh, I think that, that that certainly could be part of what happened here. Um, and to your point about his projections, and obviously they're just projections, but even if he's quote-unquote just a 102 WRC, WRC plus guy, that is still better than what the Braves had in some ways in that spot. You know, as soon as Marquecas was gone, we had a discussion on the last two podcasts about, you know, the guys they would be replacing him with on the roster, and it was like Charlie Culberson or a major league free agent that was not as good as Yasiel Puig, or um, maybe you go with yeah. like a, I don't even know, like a hybrid situation. None of those options are as good as Yasiel Puig on paper. So he makes the team better. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of where I want to leave it for now in terms of just the player himself, um, at least offensively. Let's mention the defense now real quick. The last two years he's graded out as not being very good defensively that's not a huge shock he has the he has one great year of defensive metrics in 2017 um I think I believe the not very good metrics more than anything else not that he's absolutely terrible last year he was dead in the middle uh he actually had a zero outs above average which is the, which is the stat cast stat um that's about league average that's that's perfectly fine uh not nothing great nothing terrible either previous to that he was minus four so I think I'm projecting him as a below average defender but not a disastrous one and he has a monster arm I mean we've seen people I'm, I'm sure I've seen highlights of we making some ridiculous throws in the outfield um and he is fast but he he'll he might drive you crazy defensively a little bit but I think again like not someone who's that you 
you can't play in the outfield. Um, you know, and obviously they had the flexibility this year with the DH where you could put Oz- you could put Ozuna there, you could DH Puig, you could DH, you know, Austin Riley or whatever you want to do there. I think he can hold his own in the corner. And it's not like you can't put him in the outfield. And also um, with with Ozuna, and I think they're probably comparable-ish defenders, those two guys, in different ways. I don't know. It's interesting to me that he's not a great defender, but he's not going to kill your defense either. No, and it'll be interesting, assuming this all happens, where they put Puig. Because his range probably isn't what it used to be. But you mentioned that cannon arm. And you think about how uh, Truist plays, Truist, SunTrust, whatever. Um, still getting used to saying truest, um, truest park, um, you know, in right field would tend to believe where his arm would play a little better. There's less ground for him to cover, especially if you shift Ender over a a foot or two, assuming he's going to be there in center field most nights, at least against righties, you know, Acuna seemed to be more comfortable in right than left. And, but maybe you, you do shift Ronnie to left, at least against righties, uh, you shift Ronnie to left field, and because he has that range, who knows what they're going to do. Again, it's it's another piece of the puzzle that they can kind of mix and match and see. And as you said, the DH is really a benefit too because, you know, if you want to roll uh, Adam Duvall out there for his defense and, and take advantage of that, you can. Ender, of course, we know his strengths defensively, and, and Ronnie can really play any spot. So uh, because of the flexibility, it's not a bad thing, and it should help, especially early in the year as the guys are kind of getting their legs under him. Uh, it's only a benefit to have that flexibility, and you can move guys around. Right, and let's let's just talk about all of the options now quickly. I mean, we've mentioned a lot of these going back to when Marquez was part of the factor, and you know, it's interesting. There are a couple guys that you know what they're what, where they're going to be and kind of how they're going to be used, but there is a lot of flexibility um, across the board. I think obviously we know that Roland Acuna will, will be playing the outfield every day. Um, so he'll be in he'll be in one of those spots in the lineup and also in the outfield every single day. Maybe they'll give him a, the occasional day off uh, from playing defense if he wants to save his legs or whatever. But he's an outfielder every day. I think we also know that Marcelo Zuna is going to be in the lineup every day, either in the outfield or DH. And it, you know, according to basically all the beat writers, I think keep alluding to Ozuna being whether it's the primary DH or a regular at DH. I think he's going to be a DH pretty often if you read between the lines of people that would know things about this. Um, But regardless, you're paying him a substantial sum to be in the lineup offensively. So those two guys, every day, you will see in the lineup, I'm pretty sure, obviously with the occasional day off. Um, So from there, you have two more spots. You have one outfield spot or two outfield spots, um, depending on what you do with the DH. And then you have, of course, the the third base duo of Riley and Camargo, who are still battling for supremacy in that role. Uh, again, and we're assuming Freddie Freeman's healthy. If not, you probably stick Riley at first. Regardless, um, against right-handers, you have Ender Enciarte as a real option, as a center field defense guy who also hits righties pretty well. And then, for me, the other guy against righties that's pretty obvious to be in one of those roles is Puig. That's probably why you're signing Puig, in my opinion. At least a big reason why you're signing Puig. It, that was what we were talking about with Marquecas previously. It was like, all right, against righties, you feel pretty good about Ender, and you feel pretty good about, about Marquecas. You can kind of plug Puig into that same role, and obviously Adam mm-hmm. Duvall is not very good against right-handed pitching in his career. So to maximize, I think for me, against yeah. righties, it's pretty easy. It's Ender and Puig plus Acuna and Ozuna, and then you put, you know, between Puig and Ozuna, one of them DHs. Yep. So we'll stop uh, there. What, what do you, what yeah, do you make of, right, of the right-handed matchup? I think that makes sense, and, and I think part of why this move was made is you look 
I forget who, maybe it was you, maybe it was somebody else, but talking about uh, there's only three left-handed pitchers in the National League East, and uh, I don't know the American League East starting rotations off the top of my head, but even if you assume it's 75%, I mean, these they are going to see a heavy amount of right-handed pitching this year. This isn't the NL West where you have the Dodgers and the Rockies and the Diamondbacks have a whole bunch of lefties. They are going to almost exclusively see, at least to start, start games, right-handed pitching. So it makes sense. Um, I'm with you against righties. I think you can just kind of plug Puig in wherever Marcakis was. Um, I'm in favor, assuming he's hitting a little more like second half Ender than first half because of the defense <laughs> and the glove and the DH. You can kind of hide Ender in that ninth spot. It's almost a de facto second leadoff hitter. Uh, you know, if he if he's hitting well and getting on base in front of Acuna and Ozzy, hopefully Freddie. I mean, that that could be gold for the Braves. Honestly, if he, if he's more of the guy he is over the summer months than in the spring. Um, that would be big, and again, because the glove is so good and he does so much to help the players around him defensively, um, I, I'm in total favor. I think Ender can really shine this year in that role where his offense is not being counted on really at all. Um, and then, as you said, Puig, I think, is the obvious choice against righties because of the splits, and again, you, you can kind of mix and match and move guys around, um, especially later in games as relievers come in and all that, but at least to start, I would imagine Puig is getting at, at least most of the starts. Right. This does not have to be a definitive every single time, but I think my my base unit against a right-handed starting pitcher would be those four those four guys um, between your three outfield spots and your DH spot. Now against lefties, it's a little bit more interesting potentially, um, and part of that is because both Riley and Camargo are better against left-handed pitching. So you you want to use maybe one of those guys, whoever whoever's not playing third base that day or whoever hasn't won that job is actually in the mix against left-handed pitching, either as a DH if it's Riley or, um, well, probably DH for either one of them, most likely. I, I can't imagine you're going to want to play Camargo a ton in the outfield, but regardless, um, you have Duvall, who we've all kind of assumed is a pretty natural fit for one of those spots against left-handed pitching. But then you know you could you could play Puig. Puig Puig has pretty good pretty decent numbers against left-handed pitching. It's not like he's a complete zero against lefties. So you have a decision to make now where you have Puig, you have Puig, you have Duvall, and then you have either Riley or Camargo, and that would be that would of course make both of them in the lineup. So you have numbers. I don't really have a huge preference here. I think for defensive purposes, maybe you want to play Duvall to give you a little bit more in the outfield alongside uh, alongside Ronnie in center field, but. Because he's the best defender of the group, pretty easily, I think. But at the plate, you know, Puig is not a bad option. Riley, obviously, profiles is a good option against lefties. Even Camargo, who I've kind of always hesitated on as a bat, has a pretty decent track record, track record against left-handed pitching. So you feel pretty good. But there isn't. I think that this one's a little bit more difficult, yeah. and not in a bad way. More, just more interesting to me about there's uh, some uncertainty against who, uh, at least for who I would be playing. I'm with you, and I, I think the. The good thing is, again, I feel like I'm a broken record, but there's some options here, and that's the good thing. If you know if Austin Riley is just not doing it, or Camargo, or Duval, or whoever, there's you're not forced to put them in a situation where they're not going to succeed. You have some some options. Who knows? Camargo is having a really good spring, showed up to camp in good shape. Uh, if he's able to carry that over, again, it's easy to forget how good he was in 2018. Even if he isn't quite that good, uh, he can do a lot of good things for a team. Riley, we know about the power. If he's able to make an adjustment in his second year, if we want to call it that, um, again, you you have these options. Um, and and I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, but you do have some Adam Duvall insurance now because you just don't know. Uh, and really, all these guys, but especially Duvall because he has the underlying health issues. Um, 
it's a couple of different options you can roll with and, and also a way to get these guys some at-bats because I don't think, uh, you know, it, it's not easy just to get off the bench one day and go make four plate appearances against big league pitching. And if you can, if Snit's able to rotate those guys in fairly regularly, at least uh, every couple days to, to get them some at-bats and some reps in the field, keep them fresh, it's not a bad thing at all. For sure. I think just having depth and flexibility are important. I mean, you're mentioning that and I want to echo that for sure. It's not like you have to have the same combinations. Like I said, the only things that I think we know for sure are going to happen every day in these roles is Ronald Acuna and Marcelo Zuna in the lineup. And even those guys, those guys might have a day off or two along the way, especially Ozuna, like is a little bit, a little bit older guy who's had some recent injury stuff. Um, you know, Ryan's going to be there, be there every day, I think for the, for the most part, but you're going to get one of these guys is going to get hurt at some point for a week or whatever it's going to be, or maybe even in, in addition to the COVID concerns, like having multiple options is a good thing, which is another reason why having Puig makes a ton of sense because he does a lot of things that can help you on a baseball field. Um, yep. Go ahead. No, no, I agree completely. I mean, again, I, I like the fit. I, I think it's a natural fit. And um, again, if, if he's able to kind of be more the guy he was before this, there's there's a lot to like. And I think, it, again, there's it's a two-month deal, right? There, it's right. so hard for a two-month deal to go wrong. It's kind of the, like uh, a trade deadline acquisition. As long as you're not throwing them into a huge role and counting on them, it is hard for a not even one year, three month deal to go wrong. I, I guess, <laughs> I guess I could eat my words, but I would be very surprised. Well, there, honestly, there's no way for it to go wrong because of what you said earlier is that if he's just bad, you can move on. You don't even have to keep him on the team. Sure. I mean, yeah. it's not, it, if he's just a complete disaster and doesn't fit at all and doesn't, isn't playing well, the money is such where you can just cut bait and it's not that big of a deal because, you know, before this, they didn't have anybody else to fit, fit that spot. They can, they can go to wherever they want to go to depth wise. Um, maybe by the end of the year, you talk about Christian Pache or whatever you want to say. Um, there's not a lot of risk here at all, which is a good transition into the, the off field concerns is the one way to put this about Yasiel Puig. And, you know, a lot of the uh, reaction, we came we kind of even joked about it when Eric and I talked about this two, two, two episodes ago about what the reaction would be. And it definitely came to fruition. Uh, it's on one hand, Puig is a fan favorite for many, especially going back to his Dodgers days. Like he was kind of beloved by some people there. He's, he's fun to watch. He uh, not afraid to celebrate. He's a bat flip guy. He's entertaining when he has it going. And when the highs are out there, they're very high. Um, on the other end, I've made people. I've made fun of this before with Ozuna. Like I didn't understand at all the notion that was out there that Ozuna was like a clubhouse problem because he just never was one. But there actually is some stuff with Puig to at least potentially worry about. Uh, it does seem like he's mellowed a bit as, he got, as he's gotten older, but at the same time, I was doing some research today. There's a good article that I'm going to link in the show notes on, on TalkingTop.com from Andy McCullough of the LA Times back in 2019. And uh, McCullough is like a national level uh, baseball writer who was covering the Dodgers at the time. And um, he mentions in that piece, like a couple things, like he did interviews with 20, with 20 different people around the organization with the Dodgers. Um, Puig was late a lot. Uh, his, his uh, I'm, I'm going to read the rest of this now, word for word. Quote: His attention wavered, his preparation waned. He ran the bases well and with enough recklessness. The teammates joked that Puig thought he was invisible. He hassled staffers. He ignored suggestions from coaches. He rejected um, stuff from teammates. It's, it's not that I'm, I'm, this is now me talking. Uh, Puig even admitted that he didn't always give great effort, especially early in his Dodgers tenure. So there is some stuff here. It's not as if he is a model citizen off the field, like. 
and there's always a difference between like the stuff that's generally harmless and like legal issues and it's more of the harmless stuff but at the same time it's there is something to discuss with Weeg's clubhouse fit in a way that I think a lot of the discussion's kind of silly and I don't worry about this all that much but there was some stuff in Los Angeles that you know mm. Everybody liked him, it seemed. Like, even when, within that piece that I would encourage, encourage everybody to read, there's some stuff in there that's, like, pretty positive about Puig, and, like, apparently people sure. kind of like him. But there is that, you know, got, you know, just little stuff like being late or not preparing and um, just kind of using, kind of just relying on his talent because he was super, he's still very, very talented. But it seems like, for me, in reading that piece, it's more like, you know, he just thought he was really good, and he was really good, but it also didn't, like, prepare and wasn't the most diligent teammate in the world. Yeah. As you said, I, I always hesitate on these things a little bit just because nobody's in the dugout. Nobody's in the Me clubhouse too. with him. Me too. Yep. But, well but um, it's a very reputable report. And, again, I, I think it's important to know, okay, you know, you, uh, you always try to put yourself in, in these players' shoes, right? So Puig was 22, 23 years old. He signs a 42 million dollar deal to come over from Cuba where he was the man to the Dodgers where he was instantaneously one of the best players on a team in 2013 I don't think he made an out against the Braves in the NLDS so he comes over he's the man in LA the fans are going nuts and I think you have to remember these guys are so young they're not robots and and he has an eccentric personality that's who he is you you see him licking bats and sticking his tongue out and you know, he's going to do some stuff that makes you go crazy, but then he, he's also capable of hitting the ball 450 feet. And there's only so many players in the big leagues who can do that consistently for seven or eight seasons now. So um, you hope that he's, as he approaches 30, not that 30 is an old man by any means, but you hope that he's kind of learned. I don't want to say learned his lesson, but, but calmed down a little bit and learned how to be a little bit of a, of a, uh, more calming presence in the clubhouse. I don't think anyone's going to turn him into a robot overnight, but at the same time, um, I, I think he's matured and has learned a few things along the way. And he's not this 23 year old superstar anymore. Um, and, and you just kind of take it with what it is. Now, again, we're not in the clubhouse. Who knows? Maybe everybody who's ever been around the guy absolutely hates him and they just don't want to say it out loud. But I tend to believe that he's a good teammate and uh, nothing drives me crazier than when fans assume they know who players are. Um, you have no idea who these players are when they're, when they're off the field. And um, so again, I, I hope it's a fit. It's going to be a fun clubhouse to be sure between him and Ozzy and Acuna and, and all the other guys, it's, it will not be boring by any means. And uh, you help he fits in and, and uh, they're able to, to be better for it. It's, it's, I'm glad you mentioned that the way that you did, like, you know, it's always interesting to hear how people are discussed from, you know, in general, like even as someone who's been in locker rooms and, you know, talked to professional athletes and covered them and interviewed them uh, a decent amount. Um, it's a good reminder always to like, you know, some guys are better with the media than others. Some guys have better reputations than others for sure, but they're still at work. And, you know, you just don't, you don't know, the, the players like there, there are guys that I had good relationships with on the Hawks, especially that I've covered and I've talked to on the phone and I had their numbers and stuff like that, but we're not friends. Like we, I know them to a certain extent. I know them better than some would, but you're, you're absolutely right that we just don't, we don't know. We're, we're always relying on secondhand information. And even then it's secondhand information that was said on the record to a reporter. Usually it's not like it's usually even guys who are beloved, like, yeah, there are guys with great reputations. Like, for instance, the guy that Puig is essentially replacing, Marquecas, is a guy that, you know, the Braves 
seem to love. Everyone seems to like Nate, like, like Nate Marcakis, from the media to the players. He's very well regarded. And I think we can assume that, like, there's a reason why people like him. But I don't know. I don't know him personally. Like we assume we assign that strong clubhouse presence thing because it's told to us by players and the manager and the media, and that's fine. It's probably true, but we, we just don't know. And it's the same thing with Puig. Like even the, even the headline of the piece that again I'm going to link to in the show notes. The headline kind of says it all. It's Yasiel Puig left behind a complicated Dodgers legacy. That's the mm. headline. Yeah. And it's just like you know headlines are not always great, but that that seems right to me and even within the piece there's like a lot of positive and there's a lot of negative and there are guys who are frustrated with him and i'm not defending us up week i have no idea i just think some of the some of the reactions were predictable i mean it's just kind of funny to me to see some of the sharp reaction that's i don't want to get too too deep into this rabbit hole but it's frustrating like you said like we, we just don't know um, and there's some laziness in there in terms of just the, the takes and um, the way that Puig is discussed in the media, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, yeah. you're hoping that he has matured. Um, there's a reason to think that he might have at the uh, somewhat advanced age. And by the way, <laughs> this is one thing I wanted to bring up because I, uh, I got asked about it in a DM earlier and I saw some tweets about it. Uh, Puig was part of like a pretty wild fight last year. People might remember this. It was yes. right before he got traded, like literally the day before, I want to say, maybe even the day of the trade. I think it was the day of. Like he yeah. had been traded was in a fight or something. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, and he got he got suspended three games for that. And like uh, someone that again, it was someone with not very many followers, and they were kind of yelling at me in a in a tweet, which is fine. Um, but that was one of the uh, that was one that was one of the uh, points of evidence that was used to tell to tell me that Puig is a bad guy. And it's like, look, man, guys get in fights in baseball games. Like that, that doesn't mean you're a bad guy. Like I understand. Again, we just referenced some of the reputation stuff that's out there about Puig, but uh, that's one point that I don't care about is uh, him, getting, him getting in a fight on the field and getting suspended. Got uh, that happens in baseball. Yeah. It just does. Yeah. So okay. there you go. Uh, that's enough on that, I think, for now. I, it was very predictable to see the reactions. On one hand, you saw people that are excited about Puig, both baseball-wise and also, like, he's just fun to watch. I saw yeah. some of the uh, almost lamenting because, um, you know, the Braves have kind of a fun locker room dynamic already, with especially oh, yeah. the young guys like Ronnie and Ozzy, and that's going to kind of not be able to be the case this year with with COVID-19. I'm sure, they'll, I'm sure they'll be creative, but you can't do some of the stuff that they're used to doing. Like, the hugging is not going to happen, I don't think, this year with Freddie and all those guys. But Puig is fun to watch, especially if he's playing well. So there was that side, and there was the other side that was like, no, not that guy. That guy's a clubhouse cancer. And it's like, you don't you don't know that. But no. it was just funny. It's going to be fun. I mean, you, you, a couple of people said he's the kind of guy who you don't necessarily like him when he's on the other team and he's he's yep. you know dancing on the bases. But when he's on your side, uh, you love him. And kind of like a, you know Josh Donaldson to a sense last year, right? He's kind of cocky, he's kind of arrogant. But hey, when he's when he's your cocky and arrogant, you love him. And when he's on the other team <laughs> showing you up, you, you can't stand his guts. So that I, is I think very well said. Like opposing fans, it. opposing fans seem to hate Donaldson last year. And I, and oh, yeah. I could see why. I mean, yeah. he's not someone who is shy. And like, and if he's on your team and he's really good, it's fun. But that's a, that's a great comparison, actually. I'm glad you said that. And I hadn't thought about that, but that's mm-hmm. a great comp. Obviously, Donald, Donaldson is a better player, um, at least you know, higher baseline player than Puig. But uh, yeah, I love that. I'm glad you mentioned that because yeah. Donaldson is uh, has a lot of that same on-field flair and confidence, borderline cockiness that yep. is really fun to root for, actually, especially when he's playing well. And Puig can give you a little bit of that. 
Yeah, yeah, and you don't want it overloaded, and, and I don't think anyone does. But no, you know, again, you, you need that. It's a long season, even in you know, this is not your normal year, but look, it's a long season. Even what they're about to do, sixty games in sixty-four days or whatever it's going to be, like it, it is going to be a grind, and you need those guys who are going to kind of pick you up when you're tired, when you need to pick me up. Um, again, he, the the gaffes are going to happen. You kind of live with the good and the bad, but. Um, I think ultimately, as we've seen over the last seven, eight years, there's been far more good than bad, even if he's rubbed a person or two wrong, uh, the, wrong the wrong way. And, um, you know, now he's he's on the Braves or at least reportedly on the Braves. And I think he's somebody who can certainly help this team, uh, especially with some of the short the shortcomings they've had over the last uh, three weeks as they've seen some of their roster take a hit. Yeah, it's, it's well said. And I think obviously this is like a final point. I think he as a baseball player helps the Braves from what we can see. That's my overarching takeaway is that he makes the team better than it was yesterday. Um, and yeah, it, it might not go well. Like there, there's a, there's a non-zero chance that he just kind of flames out and isn't a huge factor. And there's also non-zero chance that he is really, really awesome, especially in a small sample size. We, we've seen him be a superstar yeah. level player in his past over like a 50 game sample. Um, it's not always been consistent, but he's been that kind of upside player. So there's a wide range of outcomes. The risk is low. And uh, I, I endorse the move um, just because of all the things that yeah. we've already said. The risk is, especially the risk. I mean, yeah. If you were signing Yasep Pui to a to a monster multi year contract, <laughs> we'd be having a different conversation in some ways. Yep. But yep. considering the uh, the price the price tag and the situation where they probably need another bat, as we talked about for two straight podcasts, he yep. fits uh, in a lot of ways. Um. Okay. Last thing. This is not well. It's kind of week related, I guess. But Christian Pache got hurt on Monday night in a scrimmage that was televised and. Um, Bryce Sicker came out on Tuesday and said that it was a little bit worse than expected. It was his ankle. He's still sore today. Um, I had I saw a funny, uh, what I think was a funny tweet from John Heyman, old friend of the program, John Heyman. Your who boy. I always, yeah, your favorite. <laughs> always, who I always get along with. Um, he tweeted, and I'm quoting directly here, that Pachai's injury, quote, caused Atlanta to move, end quote, on Yasiel Puig. Now, is it possible this happened? Yes, it is. Uh, I don't believe that's to be the case. Just intuitively in my head, why would the Braves need to see a ankle issue that everyone described as probably minor to a guy in Pache who, yes, is a fantastic prospect, but wasn't supposed to be on the big league roster? Why would that be the move that had them go sign Yasiel Puig? I think yeah. I think just common sense, the move that would tell you that they wanted to sign Yasiel Puig was Marquecas opting out. That would mm-hmm. be the move. It's not Yeah, I, I think... John might have gotten some bad information there. Uh. <laughs> I mean, again, it's I'm not. Uh, yeah. If this if that was Ken Rosenthal, I would take it at face value and actually assume he would, assume he was correct. Um, so maybe that's my fault for not assuming that of John Hammond. Um, but I just don't think that's a real thing. I, I could be proven wrong. Maybe Anthopoulos comes out and says, "Look, we got worried when Pache got hurt." Uh, I don't think that's going to be the case. But yeah. um, regardless, I'm, we're all hoping that. Pache is okay. Um, I know, mm. you know being more sore today is not a great sign for him. Um, and 2020 is not the year for Pache, potentially. Like, he might be up later in the year. I don't think anyone thought he was going to be on the team to open the season. But he's still your, if not your number one prospect, certainly up there in terms of your best prospects that you have in your in your system. So you want him to be healthy and around and getting reps and all that stuff. So uh, fingers crossed on that. Yep. No, fingers crossed. And and again, we've said it for a month now, but you're going to need all of your guys dispensable because you're going to have injuries. You're going to have things come up and um, you hope he's, he's good to go. But um, yeah, I 
John Heyman. Shouts to John Heyman. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, to, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to pile on too much. I, the thing about Pache is even with what I just said, the one thing that I will say is that if Ender Inciarte got hurt or for some reason was, was unavailable, sure. Pache is kind of the insurance for NCRT mm-hmm. and obviously Pache long term is a bigger part of the team than NCRT but right now um NCRT you were assuming based on our conversation earlier is going to be a big part of the mix playing center field and doing NCRT things but he's kind of the only guy on the roster that's like that right now like Acuña can obviously play center field but you know if if Ender was just suddenly gone they would want another guy who could play center field and it really comes down to Pache. I mean, maybe you could yeah. fake it with Adam Duvall a little bit in center, but I think ultimately, if something happened to Ender, you would want to have Pache on the roster. Sure. Especially right now, when it's not like you can send him to Gwinnett and get him more time to play games. Like yeah. A lot of the things that I always say about how I want guys to play every day that are prospects kind of go out the window right now because they can't play every day anywhere <laughs> so you might as well have them up i guess i mean yeah. i'm usually the uh the vocal proponent of having guys play every day if they're like uber great prospects but in this case he can't play anywhere else so might as well have him around yep yeah absolutely and i, I think again center field's kind of like shortstop where you have to have a legitimate backup plan you can't just wing it it's not like third base or first base where you can just kind of throw someone there and hope i mean it, it is such a vitally important position that you're right. And again, I think if the situation was different, it would be a little uh, different as far as Puig and, and the roster construction and all that. But um, for today's purposes, I, I think this is we know exactly what this is and um, and it fills a role. And they're again, they're able to adjust if they have to. Yeah, I uh, another another reason why I'm skeptical of Pache being the impetus to sign Puig is that. Puig's not going to be playing center field for you, I don't think. Right, um, right. And not really serving that role that Pache would have served. Anyway, okay, we can get out of here. Mm. Uh, I think our I think our thoughts are fairly <laughs> clear at this point in this pseudo-emergency podcast on a Tuesday. Scott, anything happening in your world or anything you want to plug? And if not, yeah, sign off. Tell people where they can find you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's been nice. As I said earlier, it's been nice to have some real news to kind of talk about and cover and um, again, continue to check the site. Lots of good stuff there. A lot of good profiles on some of these uh, extended roster, taxi squad roster yep. guys who um, could very well be counted on. So continue to check that out um, on the Twitter machine at Scott Coleman 55. And who knows, Brad, the way we're going, I might be talk to you, talking to you again in a couple days. This has been a busy, uh, busy last two weeks. Yeah, it might be uh, tomorrow or something. I don't know. I mean, if yeah. nothing else, we'll have at least one. I would say maybe two podcasts between now and opening day. Um, we were going to do two more for sure, but this is this is one of the two. I think we were going to do one later in the week. I don't know what we're going to do. The plan is we'll have at least one more between now and opening day. We'll, we'll offer our, uh, I guess, our certainly wrong predictions about what's going to happen this season and yeah. division stuff. Uh, by the I'll way, there was you. a... There was yeah. a report during this podcast that Jacob deGrom had to leave a warm-up start with like back yeah. tightness tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on uh, as a divisional. Yeah, back tightness after one inning, he had to exit. It, it's a sim game. He might be fine. But uh, considering he's incredibly good, and if, he, if the Mets didn't have deGrom, they'd be in severe trouble. That's something yeah. to note as well. So we'll, we'll keep gathering news. It's coming in Fast and Furious. Please stay tuned. The best way to find the show is to subscribe to the podcast via the platform of your choice go ahead and do that that's the best way to find us and uh, thanks everybody for listening as always follow scott 
follow me if you want to follow the site check out everything that we have written wise and we'll see everybody i'm not really sure when but pretty soon so stay tuned